0: Welcome to the Cashing Out podcast where our fellow founders share real stories and offer honest advice around selling their companies to some of the top acquirers in the world. My name is Todd Sullivan, CEO of Exitwise, where we help business owners create the exits they deserve. Today I have a special guest, good friend and founder of Max Preps, Andy Beal. In 2002, Andy launched Max Preps, which became one of America's top sports media properties and it was the preeminent online source for high school sports schedules, scores, statistics, and video highlights. In 2007, Andy made the decision to sell MaxPreps to CBS Interactive for $43 million. Andy stayed on with MaxPreps, serving as its president for the next 13 years until he left CBS in 2020. In today's conversation andy and i talk about the debate over selling max preps instead of raising more capital and how having a great board of directors can help set you up for a really successful exit i hope you enjoy my conversation with andy beal andy thank you for being here very excited to, to have you right we've been friends for a while certainly business colleagues our partnership was instrumental in helping build one of my companies And I'm just thrilled to get you on because, you know, Max Preps, there's so many people, there are millions of people certainly that have seen the site, right? You had millions of impressions a month, but people know the brand they relied on it for so long, really iconic sports site. And as sports guys, right, it was very meaningful to know it as a consumer, but also as a business partner. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure to be here and, you know, talking about max preps is something that I enjoy doing, so I know that I'm going to have an enjoyable conversation. That's great. And I guess I have to throw in there, when you took this time slot, I had no problem bumping Mark Cuban from this, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you have said if I said I bumped Garth Brooks? Uh, <laughs> uh, why don't we do this together? I, I would yeah. be happy. <laughs>
1: the podcast Have, about business yeah yeah
0: well why why don't we why do we jump in and and I think a good place to start really like is your beginning you know how did you well why don't we go back to like how did you start entrepreneurship because max prep's not the only business that you've built and sold so maybe you can kind of take me back some early influences you know what got got you into this yeah
1: so you know um Going way back, uh, growing up in Southern California, my dad was a high school teacher and a coach. Um, had the pleasure of, you know, watching him on the sidelines with, uh, you know, athletes that uh, emerged, you know, at his high school, uh, John Elway being the most prominent. And, uh, you know, remember him coming home from the first practice what always showed up as a uh, it, at the time, it was three year high schools in Los Angeles as a sophomore, uh, and, and my dad coming home and saying, "We got a kid that's going to be in the NFL." Oh, that's and awesome. you know, I, I tried to de- I tried to debate him on that point, saying that the the, uh, the quarterback at Canoga Park High School was going to be better than, uh, than this. <laughs> Whatever. And he was talking about his son. You don't know what you are talking about. But at any rate, went to the College at Cal State Northridge uh, initially, and then transferred to Sacramento State. Met my bride, uh, and we stayed here to basically raise our family. I studied political science in school. As soon as I came out of school, I ran for my first office, won a local town council seat, and discovered very, very quickly that I actually hated politics and public administration and uh, decided to follow some advice that my dad had given me years earlier, which is son, you need to go into sales. Yeah. So uh, I think that technology sales had some success with that. I was exposed to uh, technology as a result of that. And in nineteen ninety-two, now I quit my job to you it's know, bound my business. And you know, looking back on on what that business concept was, it's laughable. But you know, essentially I in nineteen ninety two was really kind of pre-internet, but I had this notion that we could basically build a, a fax delivery network for uh, consumers. To basically, you know, order documents and have them delivered to their house. So, uh, as an example, you'd be listening to a talk radio show, and the host would say, "Hey, I wish you could read this article in the New York Times." Well, how, how could I do that? And sitting mm-hmm. in Sacramento, California, and so I thought, well, why don't we just you know work out a way to uh, you know deliver that kind of content, port of uh, other media, particularly radio, and that's what that was the concept that started uh, my entrepreneurial j- journey.
0: That's great, and Todd.
1: You, know, you use the term serial entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur within this within the scope of a single business. So yeah. I started my business in 1992. Went through a variety of different business plans. Had um, some level of success and some levels of failure along the way. But you know, never abandoned that corporation that I started in the beginning, and was able to basically morph it into what eventually became Max Preps. Yeah,
0: that, that's a great beginning, right? Certainly my dad had some serious influence over uh, my career. So I lo- love hearing that. But the kind of pivot into max preps, you had a business, right? It was revolutionary at the time, you know, distributing that kind of content via fax on demand. And then you went through the kind of the dot-com bubble bust and were able to buy a couple of companies too, right? To, to find the eventual path.
1: Yeah. So, you know, after, uh, we re- recognized, uh, team 96, we recognized that, uh, the stack stuff was really not the answer. We pivoted to the web and, uh, we did have clients primarily newspaper and, and radio, uh, syndicated radio programming as our clients. And we moved into starting to develop a websites and tools for them. Mm-hmm. The newspaper business was the bigger part of our business and, and uh, we saw opportunities, particularly with bubble bursting back in 2000, 2001, to acquire some companies, particularly the intellectual property and, and client lists of, of companies that had done a good job in, in basically building solutions for the newspaper business. One of those companies was a company called Sports Huddle out of St. Louis. I acquired Sports Huddle with the idea that we were going to distribute their software into uh newspaper or sport, sports departments to help them with our high school sports coverage very manual process and the, the way high school sports was covered by newspapers and we were wanting to bring them into the 21st century and uh i don't know if we were ahead of our time or just things didn't work out quite as we thought in terms of how we would market this but that acquisition of sports huddle was almost broke the company but it also mm. caused us to pivot in a way that uh caused us to focus exclusively on the high school sports market which was perhaps not coincidentally something I was very interested in at the time. My, my sons were at high school age. I was coaching basketball at the Global High School as well. So I thought, well, you know, with what I know about high school sports, with what my dad taught me about, what coaches and teachers want and how they're motivated, perhaps gives me some insights and provides me with an opportunity to do something special in high school sports space. So we pivoted, you know, selling software to newspapers and changing the instead changing the business model to essentially building a brand and and uh, game distribution nationally, and creating a media
0: model uh,
1: around that content that we were aggregating in the high school space.
0: That's awesome. I think um, for for a lot of listeners, that pivot. I think it's probably important to point out, right? You had a business that was economically viable, right? You you were funding the growth of the kind of this new venture through revenues of the old business, correct? And then you, then you kind of sold part of that to continue the growth. Yeah. We, we used all of our capital, however, with the
1: uh, acquisition of the sports product. And when mm-hmm. then that did not perform, you know, we had to sell the other portions of the business. And then there's a, a story behind that I actually was prepared to sell the entire enterprise uh, mm-hmm. to one of the, Large uh, national publishers, newspaper publishers in the country, and you know, uh, we had come to terms around the acquisition. I was going to basically be able to get sufficient cash to satisfy that the the, the uh, outstanding obligations of the business and walk away. You know, with my tail tucked between my legs, perhaps, but my head still kind of held high because we've taken care of what needed to be taken care of. Yeah, and at the last moment, you know. The, the publisher said they weren't interested in high school product, but they didn't renegotiate the terms of the deal otherwise. Ah. And so rather than getting the cash in from the sale of the assets and then you know essentially liquidating the business, it gave us a lease on life and allowed us to use that capital to invest in the development of what became MaxPreps.
0: Andy, that's great. I love that. I think it's easy to tell go back and tell these stories of how these companies begin. But, you know, when people are listening and they're thinking about starting companies, even, you know, well before the exit, right? How how to get these things off the ground. There's always a unique story behind it. So that's fantastic. You got the the economic side and you got the asset that became max preps, or at least the beginnings yep. of it. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, so you started building max preps, right? So you, you're testing a new thesis that isn't quite sports huddle, right? Can you talk me through that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so the idea was, you know, traditionally with newspapers, the way that got reported was after each game, coach would call the newspaper, they'd have clerks on uh, until about midnight each night, uh, collecting the game information that then could be published in the newspaper. And incidentally, also published, online in some form or fashion. And what we wanted to do is, you know, help newspapers change that to make it more of an online activity for coaches so they could log in and report the stuff and make it more efficient for newspapers. Well, it turns out they weren't really interested in that. So we said, well, let's just do that ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we started in the Sacramento marketplace and we had a target of 55 high schools that we wanted to have participate with us. And participation for us was Having coaches enter their schedule, enter their roster, and after each game, you know, report the the game stats and results. And we we had hoped that coaches would embrace this idea. We thought that we were delivering some value back to them with respect to helping them promote their team in the local marketplace. It wasn't in our market in Sacramento, and it's like this in every part of the country. There are a handful of teams that are dominant. Uh, each year or schools that are dominant each year and the newspapers and coverage tends to follow those dominant teams. And what we sold coaches on was the idea it was here's a common platform. Your kids can get promoted equally with, sure. with anybody. Else. Yeah, we were fortunate that uh, Sacramento area coaches embraced that idea. So I went to bed after the first Friday night of uh, high school football in 2002, woke up next morning and found that 35 out of those 55 high schools had already reported, and it, uh, it I was doing a happy dance that I can. That's fantastic. I can, still, I can still picture myself doing. Within a few weeks, uh, you know, fifty three out of fifty five schools were were reporting. Two schools never did. They had a combined record that year in football of one and nineteen, so they were <laughs> just having more time putting teams on the field, let alone reporting stats. So, you know, the Sacramento area coaches are somebody that I'm eternally grateful for. For Kind of proving out the model, so I was one half the model, which was can we get the content and get it submitted by the coaches, and the second half was would people actually come to the website and could we create a media model uh, that would make sense? And fortunately, I would prove both sides of that model in year one, and that gave us kind of the proof points we needed to go out and raise sufficient capital to to grow the business beyond Stackable.
0: That's f- fantastic. So you got found clear product market fit, right? 53 out of 55 schools <laughs> want, to, want to use that solution and disintermediate the, the, the previous way of, of reporting, right? That's fantastic. Now, I know there's a, a great story, right, of how you named Max Preps, but what was the name of the company at that point? What did you call it? The corporate name was Wave Shift. The, the product name uh, that
1: we uh, launched with was Stack Preps for Sacramento Pre- uh, Preps. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, I did buy another small publisher that was doing high school sports up in the far northern reaches of California, uh, north of Sacramento, the Oregon border. And uh, recognizing as well that we're moving into Southern California uh, through a partnership that we had developed, and in Southern California as well, I needed to come up with a name other than Sac Prep's, and so. I just closed the deal with the publisher in Northern California. I was driving back from their uh, offices and uh, stopped in at a little town called Yuba City, which is a uh, small town in, in Northern California, but they, they were big enough to have a, a Red Robin restaurant. And um, so I stopped in for, and had lunch and a milkshake. And as I was sucking on my milkshake, I was trying to, uh, figure out a name. I had a yellow sheet of paper and I was just writing name staff, what are we gonna call ourselves? I looked out the window of Red Robin, Fug Max, a TJ Max and an Auto Max. All in view.
0: Max, that might work. <laughs> <It's out. laughs> uh, That's great. No no big team brainstorming session. Just a a milkshake and a what was it? A that, red robin? Is that what you
1: called it? And uh, you the same Came back that uh, day and basically
0: told my small team that that's what we were going to name the company and then started working on logos. Okay. So you went and acquire another audience or another territory, right? You know you're expanding, but still, you're not out of the woods. You found local product market fit. At what point did you know this is really, we're off to the races, Max Reps is going to be successful?
1: Well, a couple some stories, but I'll, 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 I'll try to narrow it down to one. So the Sacramento Bee has been, you know, in the business of chronicling high school sports for probably 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a newspaper in Sacramento, and um, we launched in September, and you know we started to, you know, notice that the Sacramento Bee reporters out of games started to be not so nice to us and whatnot, and they, they, we were clearly impacting their ability to. Uh, collect you know the type of information they wanted post game. Coaches weren't calling in as much, and I get a call from the publisher of the Sacramento Bee, and he just invited me down to his office. And I, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe they were going to try to accuse me of something or <laughs> or, or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, get get into his office, and he's got sports editor and it's executive editor and a couple other you know people from the Sacramento Bee there. And uh, he starts to meet him this way. He says, Andy, how long have you been collecting high school sports stats and doing yeah. uh, uh, sack preps? And I said, about three months. And he turns to his guys, and how long have you been doing it? About 70 years. And he, back, <laughs> and he goes, this guy's kicking our ass. And I figured, <laughs> talking <to>, about <laughs> sack preps, kicking the, the sack bee's ass. And he, he goes, I, I suggest you figure out how to work with him. So that was a pretty special moment. You know, I don't know if that told me that we were going to make it, you know, nationally, but it told me that we were clearly able to do that disintermediation process, at least in Sacramento. And it gave me, uh, you know, the confidence that we could probably do it elsewhere. And Sacramento is, you know, a great test market generally in terms of, you know, companies like to do test marketing in this particular market. And so being able to utilize Sacramento as the test and demonstrate that we could aggregate audience, disintermediate the newspaper, get coaches to trust us, uh, gave us confidence to move into other markets. Uh, and so we grew sequentially from there, you know, the, the next year we did all of California from, uh, and then, then the West coast, and then we leaped across the country and did a deal with the MSG network in New York to, to cover the New York tri-state market. And then we filled in the country uh, over the next couple of years. So we were pretty that's ubiquitous fair. by 2005.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So what I, I'd love to get into kind of the exit side of this, right? So you've built something that is, has clear value. I'm sure you're, you're loving the journey. Certainly, I know some of the employees, you must be having a great time with the people, the team that you built. But at some point, you decide to sell the business. What was What was the trigger there? What was the thinking that went into it's time to sell?
1: Yeah. So, you know, doing what we were doing on the capital that we had, was something that, and the way that we were raising money. And because I had kept the corporation that I founded in 1992 alive and, and brought some investors along for the ride into this max preps journey, I had investors that had been in the company for 10 years, which is quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And, and I had, you know, frankly quite a few of them and, you know, raising yet another round would have been pretty dilutive to myself and to others. And, you know, it was really, you know, we were not cash flow positive. We were, we were clearly had a great trajectory in terms of audience include and uh, sponsor growth and things along that line, but we were going to either have to raise another round or we were going to have to consider it an exit. And, you know, this was something that was a bit contentious on the board of directors, but clearly, you know, in my mind, If we could find the right buyer, uh, it was time to you know consider that, and we were fortunate in that high school sports at the time were hot uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. the perception of major sports media. Uh, This is the time when uh, regional sports networks were getting uh, fired up around the country. Colleges were creating collegiate conferences were creating their own media properties, and that people naturally thought that high school was the next thing Mm -hmm. and so we were well positioned there and we had espn fox uh cbs sports nbc and others you know knocking on our door to investigate what we were doing and whether or not we were interested in either strategic partnership or or potential uh you know exit event and cbs was very aggressive in pursuing us and yeah so that's kind of you know how we got there
0: yeah, that's great. I think you know we run into a lot of business owners, founders that one they do have investors, right? And when you take on investment, you're now on a clock, right? Your your job is to deliver a return on that investment and so getting that done within a reasonable period of time certainly uh, has got to meet some expectation. And and I guess the second part of that what we see a lot of is um, founders come to us with this decision of like do i raise money or do i sell a business and um you know i think a lot of us as founders have faced that and you know you you gotta face certainly dilution but what are those new hurdles that you have to hit to make your equity as valuable or more valuable and you take on you know potentially a lot of risk to do that so um it's fantastic that you take a moment, talk to the board and say, you know, where do we stand? Can we provide the right return today to investors who have been here, you know, for a long period of time? So that's really responsible. And I know everybody doesn't agree on that. Um, a lot of times, investors that we see want to kind of double down; they want to keep throwing dollars in, and because and the, they're looking for their unicorn, they're not trying to hit singles, doubles, you know, home runs like entrepreneurs are. So sometimes that can, you know, have have some conflict. Uh, so all right, so you're also getting inbound interest at the same time so you, as you're having these discussions uh, by by some of these big media companies it may be fair to say that
1: the inbound interest preceded you know our notion that it was time to sell but it as a result of the inbound interest it caused us to reflect on well what do we what do we do and what's the time timelines on raising the next round and it doesn't make sense to potentially pull the trigger on and exit out. And, um, yeah, so, you know, it, you know, kind of a funny story, get a call from, a, you know, a New York based attorney, uh, to just say that they just wanted to meet us. Had no idea okay. really why Yeah, and we were going to, I was spending quite a bit of time back in New York on the MSG stuff anyway. So we agreed to meet and, um, uh, you know, it was, it was clear that they were fishing on behalf of somebody around, you know, potential acquisitions. Sure. Well, That, that, that potential acquirer that, that had engaged this uh, firm was CBS. And okay. uh, shortly thereafter, I, I got a phone call. I didn't know it was CBS, but uh, came to learn later it was. I got a phone call from a, a gentleman named Joe Ionello and Joe ran corporate development for CBS. He called me at home and identifying himself and said, uh, hi, I'm Joe Ionello with, uh, with CBS and we want to buy your business. Wow. And, and I, and I thought, uh, who's this guy really, which one of their friends put, put him <laughs> <put them laughs> like that, but to sure enough, it, it was the real deal. And Joe, interestingly enough, uh, eventually became the CEO of uh, of CBS corporation. And, uh,
0: but he was the guy that ran the process for CDS to acquire Max Pros. Okay, that's fantastic. Now, all right, so so you, you got the inbound interest, you kind of got all the stakeholders, their mindset that this should be a possibility. We need to at least explore this. Now, you're you're not going off and doing this on your own, right? You put an MA team around you. Can you talk to me about that that process? Because, you know, for us f- founders need to know, right? They, they, this is a level of expertise that you really need on your side.
1: Yeah. So, you know, our initial money uh, was, you know, that money that came from the sale of, of the assets. And then we had a, an investor that was a, a big believer in the business. His name's Lee Reese and eternally grateful to Lee for his belief and funding the business as we were getting it off the ground. Then we did an A round with Draper Fisher, one of their affiliate funds, and then uh, we did a B round out of um, New York in a company called Dolphin Equity. And uh, the lead on that was a guy named Sal Tarabasi. And Sal joined our board of directors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Sal Sal was critical to this preparation for the process and then the process itself. Mm-hmm. So having a great board member that's a professional investor was very, very helpful to us. First off, before we were we knew we were end uh wanting to be acquired, you know, just getting all, all the corporate matters buttoned up so that when it, when we did come to a, a time when it was, you know, time to consider a sale, all our doc- documentation was, was clean. All the board minutes were, you know, well, well done. The dashboards were, you know, well constructed and informative, you know, just a, a number of things that You know, while we were busy running around, you know, trying to engage coaches and audience on a day-to-day basis, these were things that can sometimes slip through the cracks, so to speak, and make sure that they are actually appropriately dealt with and managed properly is important when you come to the exit process. So then, uh, Sal also recommended that we, you know, interview investment banking firms, and so we did a bake-off in New York. We had about eight firms come in over the course of two or three days. You know, basically sharing with us uh, their industry-specific, which is media, meaning mm-hmm. industry-specific deal points. How they thought they could get the, the valuation for the company that the board was seeking, and ultimately we we uh, selected, um, Jeffries to help us, and we engaged Jeffries as our investment banker to basically run the process for us, and uh, while well, you recognize that you're you're going to pay your investment banker, you know, not an insubstantial sum of money. It was easily worth it.
0: Yeah, Andy, that I I love hearing that that you know you had a really experienced board member, right? Who'd, who'd likely been through M and A before. They're also an investor. They're aligned with getting you the the best outcome, and that you you know not only are you putting the company in in really good presentation order. Um I know we spend a lot of time with companies getting that with financial analysts getting their books uh, prepared to even present that to an investment bank because as you go to do that bake off uh, as you call it is like the perfect words you want to be presenting you know the best sellable company as well so getting your ducks in a row clearly hugely important and then having this bake off right with industry specialized investment banking groups but actual industry specialized investment bankers, right? That is really, really key. And that is no small task, right? That's that's essentially what we do. We vet hundreds and hundreds of individual investment bankers in order to have a bake-off for every founder. So you know when you're going in, you know where valuation expectations is. Everybody's on the same page. You know the the, the buyer lists, the relationships that they have. That's hugely important. And then to get Jeffries. Um, I've got to give a shout out to Storm Duncan, uh, at Jeffries. He's no longer at Jeffries. He's just left to start his own firm. Um, but one of our, you know, top, top investment bankers on the technology side and really understands web three and, um, you know, a variety of things. And he's been a top guy for 13 years at Jeffries. So, and an incredible firm. So you're very fortunate to have a group like that, um, representing you. All right. So you've got that, the team, And they're kicking it off. Can you tell me, talk to me through the process? Was it just going after CBS at that point? Or was Jeffries saying, let's spin up some competition?
1: So, uh, exactly. So Jeffries went out and, you know, we had some warm leads for them. But, you know, it was great about hiring a company like Jeffries and their media specialty team uh, was that they knew the key players as as well uh, or better than we did. And, uh, you know, they were able to basically, you know, determine whether or not what CVS was proposing was, you know, the right deal for us. And mm-hmm. so ultimately what happened is that we established a, a price range and went into an LOI with, uh, with CVS. The price range was rather broad. And then depending upon how uh, the diligence process went, would basically help CVS find the value point and uh, that that worked <laughs> out quite well and because our books were clean and because yeah, we we had everything that they were seeking within the scope of the the, the data room uh, that we we had set up they came back to us and said we were the cleanest company that they'd ever you know really looked into and mm-hmm. and grateful for that compliment but, you know, that was thanks to Sal and, and also the investment banking team at Jefferies to help us get there. And then it came down to, you know, a final negotiation, which was between me and Joe Iadello. And, Joy and, and uh, it was far more like a car deal than I uh, expected to be. <laughs> so now I'll, I'll, I'll pay you X and I'll say, well, I'll take X plus five. And we haggle back and forth. We met in the middle of uh, of that at the very high end of the range, very close to the high end of the range. So we're pretty clear.
0: Andy, that's awesome, right? There's a lot for for me to unpack there. So I think you know when you get an LOI, right, a letter of intent with a big range like that. You have to really rely on your investment banking group to say yes. This is the right acquirer to go down this path with, and the fact that you got CBS—they're not playing games. They're not going to throw a big range and then look for every reason to drop you down to the bottom of that range. Um, so you got—you know—you got an honest, quality, highly experienced acquirer. But then you also got Jeffries and your board setting you up to end up at the top of that range, right? There is, uh, I wanna go back to one thing that you said, which was the fees for Jeffries to be on your team are gonna be expensive. But we always tell our founders, do not focus on the fees, focus on the outcome. And literally that preparation, those conversations that they put you in and the way they set helped set that LOI up, you know set you up for the top end of the range. And th- those are millions of dollars difference and so founders really need to understand that it's not about the fees it is about it is about the outcome so but you it sounds like you were the one doing kind of the final negotiation and and i guess that does happen right was we talked about price was there anything that was really really important to you with with a buyer or that relationship kind of going forward that that made you choose cbs yeah so you
1: know they're their concept for what they wanted us for was important, but you know we, where we are located physically is in a uh, a, a community that is about we're about thirty five forty miles uh, outside of Sacramento. We're semi rural area. We we probably yeah, at the time of the acquisition we may have been the largest uh, and I'll say office business you know in our community, and so it was very important to me. And and the, the entire staff was was local. Uh, there are young people that graduated from local high schools and go away to college and come back and look for jobs in our our community. They're not that common, mm-hmm. and so being able to keep Max Preps in El Dorado County in our hometown was important to me. And we did negotiate around that as well. And it was interesting, you know, they they didn't push back very hard on that mm-hmm. and. Uh, it takes some time to figure it out. but uh, you know you think about a company like CBS they had hundreds of radio stations across the country, hundreds of television stations uh, both in terms of syndicated partners and and owned and operated stations there there wasn't a centralizing bone in their body. so I mean the idea that I had to negotiate that was probably you know a much bigger deal for me than it was for them yeah. because
0: uh, they're very very accustomed to having distributed operations. Got it. What about you personally, right? This has been your baby to this point. Um, and you're, you're a young guy. Like, what are you thinking about your personal career?
1: Uh, and, and that's, uh, you're a very nice, savvy young guy. I'm not. And when I sold max preps, I was 49. Now, now that I'm 64, I look back and go, no, that's really young. But at the time I was yeah. 49. I'm mean, there the, you know, the twilight of my career. Um, uh, you know, I, I love doing max preps. I was still coaching at the high school level uh and you know i love the the rush of watching the audience numbers and you know friday night were you know our highlights uh, at uh, uh, during the fall were our highlights for max preps and i loved the the rush of watching literally you know millions of people uh a day you know coming to to our site i enjoyed selling sponsorships and you know at being an advocate for high school sports in corporate America in some respects as well. So there's a, a variety of things that I, I love about Max Reps, and I was by no means ready to move on and do something else. I was very satisfied to be able to stay with CBS, being executive at CBS, uh, and and run the high school operation for them. That's great
0: yeah I think you know a lot of business owners right your, their identity can get tied into the business that they've built right It's their baby that's how they relate to family friends, business colleagues. And so, you know, to me, you structured an exit that allowed you to have substantial control, maintain where the business was, continue to run the business, just uh, new ownership. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, that changes you when you sell a business?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it takes some degree of pressure off. I mean, there's new pressures Mm -hmm. that come, but not having to worry about whether or not you're going to be able to make payroll, you know, mm-hmm. is, is these people that you're working with every day, they they become your friends. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, they're on you know making house payments and car payments, and they have kids at home. And the pressure of knowing that you can actually make payroll each week or every other week was something that uh, I was glad <laughs> to have that pressure kind of come off me. There were other things, you know, in terms of the day-to-day that changed. You know, having access to the corporate resources at CBS was something that was, you know, really useful as well in terms of being able to access, you know, HR professionals, finance professionals, and, and lawyers, and not having to necessarily pay the freight, uh, you know, from your own pocket in order to basically have co- uh, contracts paid. So that, yep. that was really... Uh, useful, uh, within CBS and all, and again, going back to just, yes, you want to perform for, for the new owners. You want to make sure that you're continuing to do well, but the the level of pressure to make sure that you're hitting payroll and paying your bills, it is, is reduced when you're part of a bigger organization like that. That's
0: awesome. So, so you, but you stay there, you stay there for 13 years, right? And yes. and you grew that business. I mean, remembering some of the stats, like 10x your your audience. So when you look back at the sale of the business and how that was structured, do you feel like you structured it appropriately, given how much you grew it and not you know increasing costs? I mean, it's remarkable what happens once you end up in in the CBS camp. So was it was it structured appropriately uh, when you look back on it? Yes, I have no regrets on that. That's awesome. So-
1: the way that the deal was structured was was fair. Uh, CBS followed through on everything they said they were going to do, and you know I was very satisfied to you know um, have Max Preps inside of
0: CBS. That's uh, we do so many deals, right? And we do our our investment bankers and our MA teams do deals with kind of known quantities as well as, you know, new private equity firms, new family offices, new strategic partners. And I think one thing you can say about these companies, the CBSs of the world, is they have that reputation to uphold, right? They have to. They do right by you, right? Because they want you referring in deals. They want that reputation. So I feel like them in particular do a very good job from, from an M&A perspective. And then you've got Jeffries, right? If you want to see a Jeffries deal, which are going to be the best deals out there, you better play nicely. So I think, you know, for our founders to understand the intricacies of how it's not just contracts that create behavior, right? There are a lot of things at play. So it sounds like, you know, you had the right team, you had the right acquirer and everything, you know, lived up to as promised. That's fantastic. Can we jump into, do, do you think, was there any mistake, any mistake that you made during that M&A process before, right, you know, right before you sold that you would go back and, you know, share with your fellow founders, like, don't make this mistake? Or do you think everything just went really well?
1: I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. Uh, but I would say that the process that led to the sale to CBS was the, I was at my best during that process. And, you know, there were a number of moving parts we had, like I said, you know, and some board members that wanted to move in a different direction, being able to keep the board together and move, keep them moving forward, keep the, the the, prof, the diligence process going with CBS and Getting it to the finish line, or the cross that finish line, was definitely the highlight of my career, and I don't think I made any serious mistakes during that process. Like I said, I've made plenty awesome. of others, but that that one <laughs> was pretty
0: good. All right, so let's. We're going to go into overtime here, right? We're sports guys, so I got to use that analogy. So, who did, when you inked the deal, who was the first call? Who did you call first?
1: Uh, my wife, definitely. And my wife's a businesswoman as well, and she's in real estate. And, you know, she she's had deals that get to, you know, right to the finish line. and Somebody pulls plug on the deal or literally she had a, a client die, you know, the day before an escrow was supposed to close. So, you know, she was always a little bit more skeptical than I was that it was going to get done. And so being able to let her know that it actually got done was 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 pretty special.
0: That's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to throw in one thing that time really does kill deals. So I'm sure she's seen you know her share of hardship in, in transactions. We have one closing tomorrow, right? And there's always one little issue, one little last thing. And we've seen deals die eight days before signatures on a page with really nothing else to argue about other than Covid hits, the economy changes, things outside of people's control. So, founders really have to understand that you, you gotta you gotta move when it's time to move. So, for next question, like who did who did you celebrate with, or really how did you celebrate with team, family, any big celebrations?
1: Yeah, so you know we went to uh, New York, and I brought my uh, my key players on my team uh, with me back to New York, and you know we we did celebrate with the CBS folks. So they put on a very nice lunch and then they put on a very nice dinner as well. And so it was great to have, you know, my teammates there with me as we got to know the people we were going to be working with and were able to celebrate with them. And they were uh, very, very welcoming at CVS as well. So that, that, that helped make it special. Coming back to, uh, you know, our hometown, you know, certainly, uh, got to slap a lot of high fives, uh, around the office and, uh, and everyone was very, very happy with how how the process went and their new employment terms from CBS, which, you know, they got better insurance. They got stock options. There's a variety of things that made things better for them. And oh, by the way, their options were paid out from Max Prep. So, you know, people were, you know, coming to the parking lot with new cars and whatnot. So that was a lot of fun.
0: That's great. And, and you kept their jobs where they were, right? That was obviously a big part of this for you. So how did you, did you reward yourself personally? Any vacation, car, like any, any trophy?
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, that year took the family uh, to Hawaii and, and we did it up bigger than we would have done in the, in the past. We, uh, and we paid it off for our home. And, you know, so we've been, uh, you know, debt free ever since. And that's a, <laughs> that's a position I want.
0: That's a great feeling. We have uh, we have one founder that says, "Oh, I took my family to Disney World." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it it's like, like winning in the Super Bowl." He's like, "No, no, when I say my family, I mean everybody we know is family. I took everyone to Disney World," which is great. Um all right, so la- last two questions. Any advice you want to give to our fellow founders around selling a company?
1: You know, I think uh you know, I had not done that before and so Having the, the um, professional investors on your board of directors is, was critically important. And then not, they can be hard. They can force you to do things that, or encourage you to do things that you may not you know, feel comfortable doing, but at the end, at least in our case, it, it paid off to have that and to do those things that they recommended. It made us a more attractive company and then, you know, it led to a great outcome.
0: Okay, fantastic. And then the last thing, is there one person who you'd like to thank that really contributed to your personal and professional success over your life?
1: I want to say my dad. And then when I, when I say that, you know, I, I think, well, why? And, uh, and one of the things that my dad did was he instilled in me that he believed it. And he believed I could do things. And that he was not the only one. And through that, the course of my career, I've had people, you know, tell me that they believe in me and I don't want to let them. down. And some of the people that have told me that they believe in me didn't necessarily do it with words, but they did it with their checkbooks. Uh, So those investors, those private investors that put money into Max Preps or the uh, the preceding corporate name that we had, those people believed in me and, and it was very, very important for me not to let them down. And Todd, conversely, yeah. you know, there are some people that basically, you know, said, "I don't believe you." Um, I had one investor that basically wrote a check, and a week later got cold feet, wanted their money back, and he desperately, you know, wanted that money back, and he was rude about trying to get it back, and you know, he clearly didn't believe, and yeah. uh, so that was motivating as well to have somebody say, "I don't believe in you." And it was something that I wanted to prove that guy wrong. And so, I don't know, belief on both sides can, can
0: uh, be, a, at least for me, a big motivator. That's great. Thank you, Andy. Well, look, this has been a real pleasure for me. Like, you know, I said at the beginning, we've known each other a long time. I think, uh, you know, I consider our professional relationship a big part of the success that, that I've had as well. So, Andy, thank you for telling this story. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you. Todd, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again for listening to the Cashing Out Podcast. For more founder exit stories, please subscribe to the Cashing Out Podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please remember, exitwise.com and the Cashing Out Podcast are for entertainment purposes only. This should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions.